We're continuing our Madison Multiply sermon series called Prayers for Our City, and our scripture reading this morning is Matthew 9, 37 through 38. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Thank you. Good morning, Redeemer City. How are you? You know, I, uh, parents watching you dedicate your children, it's such a beautiful thing. Um, we have five, as was mentioned. Uh, and I remember our oldest, she, she turns 12 in December. And I remember bringing her home from the hospital feeling very much what Mike said. Just kind of, oh yeah, they've been, they've been babying us around the clock for three days. And now we're just driving away. And apparently we know everything that we need to know. It's a little frightening, but thankfully we have the Lord and uh, we had a sweet church family as well. And so I'm just love to see churches come around, families. It is such a sweet thing. Well, my name is Ben. Uh, I get to serve as lead pastor at Eastside Church. I love that we do this Madison Multiply series every summer. I get to come see you. I'll be at the Vine next week. And uh, it's just a sweet outworking of our vision, the Madison Multiply, which is to saturate Madison and Dane County with vibrant, gospel-centered churches. And this annual series is just one of many ways that we try to do that. And so if you're newer um, or kind of getting to know what Madison Multiply is all about, there's a women's conference, a men's night. Uh, we do worship night occasionally. The prayer night that's coming up is one of those. We do holiday services together sometimes. And so there's really sweet discipleship opportunities because what we're trying to do is build a network of relationships that spans our city, our county, so that everybody in Madison someday might have an encounter with Jesus daily in word and deed. And so you're a part of that. And this sermon series is a part of that. As we turn our attention to, to pray for laborers to come into the harvest. So we've explored, I don't know where you guys are at, I probably could have looked that up, but we've, we're going to be exploring prayers for boldness, prayers for unity, prayers for justice, prayers for mercy, and this morning, prayers for kingdom laborers. And so this is a theme that just resonates with the very core of our purpose as Christ followers, as the others do as well. But this is, this is bound up in, in everything that we're about, everything that Christ is calling us to do. This is both a prayer that calls us to action. And actually, this is a prayer that calls us um, to fervent, more fervent prayer. And so I want to invite you to join me as we explore how these things are intertwined with our lives and how Christ is calling us this morning. So let's begin with prayer. Would you join me? God, we gather together this morning united in our desire to know you. Thankful for the gospel-centered vision that you've united us under in Madison Multiply. God, we acknowledge the spiritual harvest in front of us and that you call us to be active in it. As we worship this morning in the word, I pray that you would guide us to not just see with our eyes, but open our hearts. Stir a longing in us to participate actively in your work, preparing us to be committed, compassionate followers of you. Holy Spirit, we need to be changed by you this morning for any of this to take good effect in our lives. And so I pray that you'd be active. Move among us. Help us to see a collective picture of Jesus this morning. 
how wonderful he is, how faithfully and obediently he carried out the Father's will and now calls us into the same mission. We need your help. God, it's for your glory and by the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. Well, I want you to imagine with me arriving downtown Madison on a Saturday morning, the bustling Dane County's farmer's market in full swing. And as you come, you are met with an interesting, startling sight. Instead of seeing the normal booths brimming with fruits and vegetables, they are nearly barren. What's more puzzling is that the number of workers staffing each booth has multiplied tenfold. There's an urgency, an intensity in their eyes. And confusion turns to understanding as you begin to realize what's happening right in front of you in this very odd scene. See, instead of being out in the fields, bringing in the harvest... All the workers are at the market. Some are talking shop. Others are arguing about which weeding technique is best for this kind of year and how to fight off this various brand of weevil. You see, the fields are ripe. They're bursting with bounty. It's the end of the summer. But they are left unattended while the workers gather here, focusing on a task that's become disconnected from the reality of what's happening. And this scene isn't just a quirky little story. It's a metaphor that resonates deeply with the spiritual reality that we find ourselves in today. A spiritual harvest surrounds us. It's ready to be brought in. But the laborers often gather elsewhere, distracted from the actual work of the kingdom. Well, today we're going to explore Matthew 9, 37 through 38. I'm going to grab 36 as well. We need to realign ourselves with the mission of Jesus. Our hearts need to be stirred. Our minds are sharpened. We need to consider the vivid picture of the kingdom harvest and what place we're being asked to play in it. And so if you don't have your Bibles open already, please open them. We're going to be in Matthew 9, 36 through 38. I'm going to read these verses again. They're read beautifully. I'm going to read them again, uh, and I want you just to take in this living portrait of Jesus' ministry and hear his call afresh. When Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. And if we look just one verse earlier, in verse 35, we actually see that Jesus has been healing, teaching, and comforting. But then he pauses. He pauses because he's moved with compassion for the crowds. And it's here that he declares this this timeless truth that has just reverberated down throughout church history and is ringing today. The harvest is plentiful, the labor is few. The fields are ripe. Jesus' compassion for the lost is as relevant now as it was then. Yet more laborers are needed. So what does this mean for us? I'm glad you asked. Responding to Matthew 9, 36-38 requires us to hear Jesus' call to labor with love and pray with purpose, asking the Father to send more laborers into the harvest. And nestled in this call are three foundational realities that we need to have in place. 
Number one, we need to be compassionate like Jesus. Number two, we need to be in collaboration with Jesus. Number three, deeply committed to Jesus. In order for us to labor with love, pray with purpose, and sincerely ask the Father to send laborers into the harvest, we need to be compassionate like Jesus, in collaboration with Jesus, and deeply committed to Jesus. You see, these realities guide our understanding of what it means to answer the call with, with a, a, a purpose, trusting God. Otherwise, we drift into self-reliance. We drift into manifesting some kind of outcome. We turn into salesmen trying to pitch a product. And so let's just jump right into the first of these three realities. We're called to be compassionate like Jesus. I encourage you to keep your Bibles open. As we go through, you can look back at the passage as we walk through each one of these main points. We're just going to go verse by verse, 36, 37, 38. Jesus' compassion is not merely a feeling. It's an active expression of his love that seeks to elevate, restore, and empower. In Matthew 9, 36, he looks at the crowds with deep compassion, seeing their, their lostness. See, lostness is not just about not believing in Jesus. Sometimes we'll, we'll talk about people and say, oh, they're, they're lost. They're very lost. And in that, we often mean that they don't believe in Christ. They're not following God. But it's not just about that reality. It's about that, but it's about everything else that's connected to that. The tiring search for self-fulfillment. The hopelessness that comes from being the one who has to ensure your personal safety. Fight for your worth. Fight for purpose. Jesus' compassion is tangible. It's expressed in his deeds, his miracles, his pursuit of those in need. And each act manifests his love and transcends the mere sentiment, driving him to reach out to others. It's in his compassion that we find the starting point for our prayers. Our prayers that align with his heart and ask him to fulfill us with his love. Think back on the parable of the Good Samaritan. Do you know it? Jesus paints this vivid picture of compassion through the actions of a man who is considered an outsider. Unlike the priest and the Levite who both pass by this wounded man who's been mugged by robbers, laying almost dead in the road, the Samaritan, a man who should be this man's enemy, sees his suffering, is moved with compassion. He didn't just feel pity, he acted. He bandaged the man's wounds, brought him to an end, cared for him. The story isn't just, just a moral lesson. This is a reflection of Jesus' own heart. He tells it because he wants us, like the Good Samaritan, to see the brokenness of people around us and have his heart of compassionate action towards them and not just pass by. And as I think we contemplate on what this means to embody compassion like Jesus, I think we need to recognize that we have to go beyond the emotional response. We have to have a profound commitment to love and to serve others. It's a love that sees, feels, and acts, reaching into the very depths of human need and longing. It's a love that's cultivated and expressed to God through prayer. As we love people with action, we sense our need for God all the more. 
It's so hard to be self-sufficient when you're dealing with the needs of other people. I mean, parents who are up here or parents who are down there, you know. When you are dealing with the needs of other people, you come to the end of your ability really quickly. You need support. You need help. I want you to think about just your life, your surroundings, the people that you interact with. Are you praying for them? More importantly, are you praying to God that you would have a heart of compassion like Christ for them? Especially those who are difficult in your life. You might be wondering, how can prayer help me to perceive uh, the, the kindness that they need? To perceive their longing for empathy? To perceive their need for faith? Well, friends, to see with compassion, we have to have a, a cultivate a heart of compassion that is attuned to the needs and the longings of others. And this only comes through a deep connection to God through prayer where we seek his perspective, his compassion. Prayer is the means by which we align our hearts with Jesus, asking him to open our eyes to the needs around us. It's not merely about observing needs, but feeling compelling love that drives us to respond, a love that is nurtured and guided by our communion with Christ. It's a big task. It's a big task to fulfill. Serving, showing compassion like Christ. But as we serve with compassion like Christ, we are recognizing that we are to be a part of God's ongoing work here on earth. We recognize that the harvest belongs to him. And that we approach our work then with humble intentionality. It's about aligning our actions with Jesus' mission and his character. Embodying his love in all that we do. This alignment is cultivated through prayer, where we seek his guidance and strength, asking him to lead us in ways that reflect his love and his purpose. Prayer is the vital link that connects us to Jesus, allowing us to draw from his wisdom and the power of the Holy Spirit, which guides us to serve as he served. Prayer is the essential practice that shapes our compassion guiding us to serve with a heart that resonates with Christ. Through prayer, we seek his will for our actions, asking him to fill us with his love and purpose. And then like the Good Samaritan, we learn over time to not just settle for pity, but to act, aligning us with God's heart. So as we learn to be compassionate, this is, this is the, the, the first reality that has to be in place in order for us to actually move into collaboration with Jesus. Which is the second of the three realities revealed in this passage. So reality number two, we're in collaboration with Jesus. Collaboration with Jesus is about aligning our hearts and actions with his divine mission. So it's the outworking of the compassion that I just talked about. See, there's this bountiful harvest, but few laborers willing to work it. And it shouldn't surprise us that the laborers will be as diverse as the harvest that they are tasked with bringing in, thus requiring us to have hearts of compassion. The scope of Jesus' mission was always the ends of the earth. And so it's to that end that he sent his disciples in the power of the Holy Spirit, Acts 1.8. 
So I want you to consider the church in Ephesus. It's a thriving community of believers in the first century. Paul did much good ministry there. And the church was likely large. Scholars believe that it was so large that they probably couldn't meet all as one body. But they probably met at different places throughout the city, maybe even at different times based on their working schedules. And if we come to understand that there were probably multiple congregations in the city, we start to read the book of Ephesians a little bit differently, don't we? Think of verses 1 through 6 of chapter 4. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you, church of Ephesus, to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called, with all humility, gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body, one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. We start to see this as a call to citywide unity, right, with the understanding there are multiple congregations in this city, in this place. And these words then are not just a call to uniformity, but a profound exhortation to embrace the richness of diversity within the body of Christ. This is what the heart of compassion of Christ sets us up for. See, the Ephesian believers are urged to value each other's unique gifts and contributions, focusing on what is most important, their life in and with God. And this unity and collaboration that we see in the Ephesian church reminds us of our shared mission in Christ. The unity is not merely a human endeavor, but a spiritual collaboration. And we know as we continue on in chapter 4, that this is very much grounded not only in prayer, but grounded in the gospel. Paul gives this picture of the church that says, As each one is equipped by those whom God has given as gifts to the church to equip the saints for the work of ministry, they speak the truth in love to one another. And the body grows up. Well, we're talking about a whole city full of Christians at this point, if there are multiple congregations in Ephesus, aren't we? It starts to reframe things. Yes, we want unity in our churches. Yes, we want our churches to grow up into the image of Christ. But how much more is there a call to see unity in the city where the churches are growing up into Christ? And so how can we, how can we be praying for this in our community. Well, it comes from establishing and seeking God's heart in prayer. We ask him to break down barriers and divisions uniting us in the shared mission. We pray for a spirit of collaboration that transcends individual congregations and denominations, recognizing that we are all one in Christ. We ask God to align our hearts with his Embracing our differences as opportunities for a richer, more effective harvest. The harvest is plentiful. The laborers are few. And of course, we're to pray for more laborers. So how do our prayers for collaboration connect with this idea that God would send more? Well, our prayers for collaboration are intrinsically linked to our prayers for more laborers because as we pray for unity and collaboration, we recognize the harvest is there And that we're not going to bring it all in on our own. We ask God to send more workers into his harvest, knowing that a united church is more effective in reaching the lost. 
Our prayers for collaboration are not just about working together. They're about aligning ourselves with God's mission, praying earnestly for more laborers to join us in this vital work. See, the truth is that collaboration is essential to fulfilling Christ's call to reach the harvest. We can't do it alone. We can't do it in isolation. We need both collaborations as reproducing churches and relational overlap amongst congregation members with various traditions. This collaboration is not just a human strategy. It's a divine calling. And it must be grounded in prayer. Because when we ground it in prayer, it is guided by the Holy Spirit. So I'm urging us, let's make this, let's embrace this call. Let's make Madison a city where the love of Christ is not just spoken but lived. Through prayer, we can grow in our kingdom vision saying, let your kingdom come, Jesus. Not just our brand of it. A few years ago, I was coming home from a conference and I was sitting out on my back deck and just kind of looking into the sky. It was the afternoon. It's a beautiful summer day. And, and this thought kind of came through my head of, man, there's, there's no way that, that east side, the way that we are now, is going to be able to reach our city for like decades. We had seen COVID, had seen people moving from town. Um, not a lot of people being added back into our number during that season. And I just remember thinking, God, like, how are we going to do this? We need more people. Would you send us more people? And it wasn't like one of these audible moments, but it was this very kind of specific, heavy impression on my heart. And it went something like this. I think it was the spirit. Ben, do you think that you can grow east side large enough? Or that east side, even Madison Multiply, can plant enough churches in Madison that it would reach the entire city for Jesus? And it was one of those where like you get hit with one of those kind of questions and you know the right answer right away but you kind of feel your heart tug in the opposite direction. It's like, but if we were bigger, we'd probably help a lot more. It was just a moment where I just needed to surrender to the Spirit and say, absolutely. How? Who? And since then, I've been able to cultivate relationships with pastors all over the east side. When we're gathering, we're praying for one another. We're praying for laborers to be sent we're talking about how to disciple our congregations to see the need in the city. But I think if we're honest with ourselves, a lot of us, and maybe this is more a burden of those in ministry or those who, who kind of cast vision, but, but maybe even the way that we all just live says that we do think that it's true. We can just kind of hang out with our people. We hang out with those that we're most comfortable with their worship style, most comfortable with the translation they use most comfortable with the way they approach evangelism, on and down the line. That we can just do this, and in isolation, we can just we'll see the kingdom come. And I think what's led to is our cultural moment here in America as the church. We see more commitment to brands within Christianity than to the carrying out of Christ's mission on a big level. I long to see churches united in a region. I think if, if you read through the New Testament, you see this happening all the time. Paul's got 91 different people that he's doing ministry with. Have you ever counted it? And he's going from town to town, and he's, the gospel's just lighting places up. 
And he's leaving people behind, and he's moving on, and he's sending Timothy back, and we need elders over here. It's kind of chaotic. But it's beautiful. Let's pray earnestly for collaboration. As we pray for God to send more laborers into his harvest. Recognizing that these prayers are interconnected. And essential to fulfilling our mission as Christ followers. Redeemer City, keep resisting the urge to be more focused on building an organization. Instead of building the body. And I want to commend you. I think you do this well. From the outside looking in, I'm so grateful every time that I'm here, hearing the ways that you're partnering in the city. I mean, you, you have your home here opened up to another church. Their sign hangs in the window. This is beautiful. Press on into those things. Fitchburg desperately needs the gospel. Madison desperately needs the gospel. So the first reality that we came to was to be compassionate like Jesus. And the second is that we need to be in collaboration with Jesus as his body, united in the region. And the third is that we do all of this out of deep, being deeply committed to Jesus. See, deep commitment to Jesus is not just a mere sentiment, similar to how compassion is not just an emotional state or collaboration, just an idea. It's about aligning our hearts, minds, and actions with Jesus' mission. It's about actually earnestly praying and going to labor in the harvest. This commitment is to a person. It's to Jesus and to his mission. It's nurtured and expressed through prayer. Consider the great cloud of witnesses mentioned in Hebrews 12, 1 through 4. We just had Hebrews chapter 11, commonly called the, the Hall of Faith. And the writer to the Hebrews, who's one of my favorite writers in the New Testament, I just love the way that they put together their argument of Jesus as our high priest. It just fuels me with love, not only for this deep and rich tradition that we have coming from Judaism into Christianity, but for how God has just been writing this story from the very beginning. And he writes this at the beginning of chapter 12. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. And these men and women who are named in Hebrews 11 faced trials. Massive persecution. They overcame obstacles all for the sake of their belief that the Messiah, Christ, was coming. They ran the race with perseverance. They looked to Jesus long before he was born, the author and the perfecter of their faith. They understood that the path of discipleship was not easy, but they pressed on knowing that the joy that was set before them was worth every sacrifice. And the audience that the, the writer of the Hebrews is writing to, including us, benefits from the ways that verses 3 and 4 continue. Consider Jesus, who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. 
In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. The Christian commitment is not a one-time decision. It's a continuous journey. And it's fueled by prayer, deep connection to Christ. Like every Christian before us, our commitment to Jesus must be more than mere words. It must be a living relationship that shapes our thoughts, our actions, and our priorities. It's a call to follow him wholeheartedly, to be his hands and his feet in our community, and to reflect his love and his truth in all we do. And so as we continue to ponder these examples of faith mentioned here in Hebrews 12, as we think about just do a scan of Acts, just think of all the people participating in the early church. Maybe think of all the people who have been dedicated to Christ from then until now. And this question starts to emerge. Are we willing to join them? To pay the cost of discipleship to leave behind comfort for the sake of the kingdom? Field work is difficult. Think about laboring day in and day out with your body in the heat, in the sun, the rain, wind. It takes a toll. There's an emotional, physical price. And so what does it mean to endure hardship and trials as we follow Jesus into the potential for social, economic, or even physical danger? All of this is in Jesus' mind as he's saying, hey, the harvest is plentiful. The laborers are few. Pray that God sends more. Enduring hardship and trials as we follow Jesus into these potential dangers is a profound expression of our readiness to be sent. When we pray for these laborers to be sent, we have to recognize that the answer to that prayer will likely be our own going. Do you see that? This is a commitment that may lead us into uncomfortable or even perilous situations. But it's in these very moments that our faith is tested, refined, and strengthened. If you've never read accounts of missionaries throughout the last 2,000 years, you can read about the ones in Acts. It's a great book Luke wrote that you can read up on how the early church spreads from Jerusalem all the way around the known world at the time. And there are some other really great books out there, biographies of missionaries that you can get a hold of. In fact, at the Desiring God Pastors Conference for years, John Piper would preach a biography of a missionary every time. And I think you can find most of those online if you're into podcasts or likes to do those. It's just encouraging. It's encouraging to see how the gospel spread in the face of adversity. And even when you thought the light's gone completely out, Madison, who would go there? They're less than 5% evangelical in the whole county. It's a graveyard for church plants. But Jesus is still at work here, isn't he? Amen? This enduring faith is not about reckless abandonment, but a calculated commitment to Christ. Knowing that he is sovereign over all of our circumstances. It's about aligning our hearts with his and being willing to say, along with the prophet Isaiah and all of the folks who have gone since, here I am, Lord. Send me. Maybe this is Jeremiah. I can't remember who it was at the moment. I'm, you, know, you know the thing where you transpose in your head and then you can't really remember? Someone can tell me afterwards. When we have this posture, our prayer for more laborers becomes intensely personal. 
It becomes actually the mechanism for surrender to God in all of our life. A willingness to be his hands and feet. It grows into a faith that trusts in his guidance, relies on his strength, and is fueled by the Holy Spirit. Being living witnesses, embodying the love, compassion, and commitment of Christ in our daily lives. It's about being intentional in our relationships, serving others, sharing the gospel. Are you starting to see how prayer is the foundation of this witness? Where we seek God's wisdom, his love, his power. Stirred by compassion, aligned for collaboration, and anchored in commitment to Jesus. Let's heed his call to pray. Inspired by the faithful who've gone before us, let's run with perseverance. Praying earnestly for God to do more and more in our city. So let's step back for just a moment. Let's look at the whole picture. We're called to respond to the calling that Jesus gives us to labor with love, to pray with purpose, earnestly asking the Father to send laborers into his harvest. So our journey began with the compassion of Christ, a love that sees, feels, and acts. It's a compassion that doesn't merely observe but but reaches out, and it's guided by, by prayer. This is the starting point for our own prayers where we seek to align our hearts with Jesus and ask him to fill us with his love. And this sets us up to be in collaboration with Jesus. We recognize that the mission of reaching the harvest is not ours alone, but a shared endeavor with Christ and with his body. The unity exemplified by the Ephesian church reminded us that our prayers for collaboration are not just about working together, but aligning ourselves with God's mission in our place, wherever it is found. It's a divine calling that transcends our individual efforts, and it's grounded in our prayer for more laborers. Third, we just looked at what is, it, what is this deep commitment to Christ? Well, it's a dedication that just permeates every aspect of our lives. As we seek God's work over and over again, and as we witness what he is about, we are strengthened to trust him. For those of you who've walked with Christ for a long time, one of the, one of the things that, that I know I've seen in my life is that when Jesus asks big things of me, things that are hard, things that go against my will, and I follow him in, in obedience to God in those things, I learn to trust him more. I learn to take him at his word. Our prayers for laborers become personal, surrendering ourselves, our will to God, recognizing that we are among the ones sent into the harvest. Now let's take a moment and just see, what, what, is this, what does this actually look like in our lives? You know, we, we get to this point in a sermon and it's like, okay, yep, I hear you. This is great. Be compassionate like Jesus. Okay, I'm going to try. We'll try. We'll try it out. We'll see. Okay, I pray more to do that? Okay, I'll do that. I'll pray more. And I'm not saying you're being flippant. I'm just saying we need to be concrete. I need it. In a world driven by action, the struggle to prioritize prayer is real, isn't it? 
Do you feel it? I feel it. Yet Jesus' words remind us that prayer is not passive. It's vital. It's active. In fact, Matthew 9, 35 through 38 is this little microcosm of Jesus' entire ministry. And he anchors it by asking us to pray to the Father that the kingdom would come. Prayer is where we align with the Lord of the harvest, seeking his guidance and strength. And, and it is a struggle worth embracing, friends. It leads us to the heart of Jesus. And it's really sweet to be there. So what can we do? I'm glad you asked. We're sadly in the final weeks of summer in Wisconsin. And oh, is it going to let us know in the next week from what I've heard. The weather is something fierce. And some of you are going back to school tomorrow. I don't know how you feel about that. But August is a month when in our house we start to put summer to bed and we start looking ahead at what the fall is going to bring and what kind of schedule we need to develop for our family rhythms so that we all can stay living with one another like Jesus and not lose our minds. And unless we're intentional about what that looks like, our schedule does not allow us to respond should we pray that God would send more and he taps us on the shoulder? In fact, we've had to learn year over year about how to be more and more intentional about that. See, one of the things that's developed in our cultural moment in Christianity is this dualism. This kind of Sunday morning uh, silo. This place where we come, we live for God, and then the rest of the week, kind of struggling to find our place. Other priorities take over our devotional time that we had planned. Conversations with little ones as you clean the stickiness off their fingers, always so sticky, eats into your prayer time. They just don't go to bed the night that you had set aside with your wife that you were going to stay up late praying to God together. But you see what I'm saying? Unless we're intentional to block it out, it's hard to fight for it. We end up just back at the fruit stand every Sunday morning with the other purveyors, swapping tips, talking about the harvest that's still in the field, not in the stand. So I urge you, set aside time each week to pray specifically for the harvest in Madison. Let the rhythm of your daily lives drive this. This is something that Nikki and I have learned over the years. Addition is always going to lead to subtraction. I don't know if this is going to continue with math. I didn't take math at all in college because I was a music major. But when we, when we multiply out this way, when we stack things out this way, instead of trying to add them, we generally see better results. Here's what I'm talking about. Let the rhythm of your daily lives drive your prayer for more kingdom laborers. As you commit, commute to work and back, look at the cars around you. Pray. As you play with your kids at the park, as you're out at restaurants, as you walk through your neighborhood, take the time to pray for God to reach all of those people using you as he sees fit. And the fruit of this commitment to prayer is a declaration of dependence on God, a desire to join in the work. It's an acknowledgement 
that the harvest, the laborers, and the mission are all his, including you. And as we pray, I, I pray that we would yield and allow the Spirit to shape us in this. That our prayers would fuel passion. Unite us in a shared commitment to be faithful laborers across this city. So as we prepare to close, we need to do one more thing. If we stopped here, all of the things that I'm telling you that we should do just turn into law. They don't feed with grace. And so I want you to just join in with me for one last thing here. And let's look at Christ, the author and perfecter of our faith, who not only commands us to pray, but models prayer with fervent sincerity. Think of his high priestly prayer in John 17, where he intercedes not merely for his disciples, but for all who would come to believe in him through their word, including us. He prays for unity. He prays for protection. He prays that we would grow regularly in character like him. He prays for us now, interceding before the Father. In John 17, 21, he prays that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us. Jesus is praying this for us, that we would be in close fellowship with he and the Father. This unity, this oneness with the Father is the heart of the gospel. It is what fuels our prayers and our mission. It's what drives us into the fields to harvest. Consider also Jesus' profound surrender in the Garden of Gethsemane. Or his heartfelt cry just hours before he would be killed on a Roman cross is not my will, but yours be done. And these words aren't just mere utterances. They're a deep yielding to the Father's will, showing us how to follow in his footsteps. Hebrews 5, 7 through 9 reminds us, In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. This is the gospel. This is what beckons us into the fields. This is what beckons us to pray. It's not compulsion. It's deep love for Jesus. And so as we leave today, let's carry with us this call to earnest prayer, asking the Lord of the harvest to send, send, send. Let's be compassionate like Jesus in collaboration with Jesus and deeply committed to Jesus, recognizing that our prayers fueled by the gospel are part of his grand design for our city and our world. It's our calling. Friends, it's our mission. It can be our joy. And so let's go, fueled by the gospel, and let the Spirit, and led by the Spirit into the fields he has prepared. Will you join me as I pray to this end now? Heavenly Father, we stand in your presence acutely aware of the vast harvest, the pressing need for laborers in our city. We're humbled, inspired by your call to be part of your mission, recognizing our complete reliance on your guidance and strength. Jesus, I pray that you would fill us with your love, 
that we would love others as you've loved us, that we would learn as you teach us, and that we would act as you would act if you were here in our lives as us in Madison 2023. Strengthen us to be deeply committed, unshaken by fear or hesitation. Jesus, Jesus, grant us the same level of passion for the kingdom that you have. The same willingness to obey the Father that you have. Spirit, I pray that you would empower us the way that you empowered Christ. Jesus, is your name. You who loved perfectly, taught profoundly, and acted purposefully that we commit to this. May our lives be a testament to your grace. And may our city be transformed by the power of the gospel as we love you, as we learn from you, and as we seek to live like you. Jesus, we do love you. And it is in your name that we pray. And my brothers and sisters said with me, amen.